Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I was reading a magazine the other day. It was a photojournalist edition, a special production to showcase photographers and their unique, beautiful photographs. This one was gripping and contained many beautiful photos from all around the world. One of the showcased photojournalists was an American woman whose specialty was capturing the emotions of the people she met during various events of their lives. As I turned the pages and looked at the stunning photography, I was able to feel the emotions being displayed by those she had photographed. She was good. She described one occasion in Palestine where she was at a funeral of someone who had been shot and killed during some of the violence that erupts regularly in that country. She had spent time with the family of the dead person, sharing their grief and trying to understand their emotions. At the funeral, someone suddenly pointed a finger at her and accused her of being a CIA spy taking pictures for evil purposes. The mob was already stirred up over the shooting death, so this sudden excuse gave them a target and they were about to attack the photographer when the family of the dead person who had been standing on the side of the mob pushed themselves into that heaving mob of people looking for blood and they saved the photographer from certain death. Fortunately for her, she had spent time with the family earlier, and she had shown concern and sympathy and understanding for their grief. They understood her and came to her rescue. Out of this experience, she captured amazing pictures of a real-life drama that helps us understand emotions and cultural diversity that would be lost on us otherwise. On another occasion, she related a story from Africa. She had been in the interior where few foreigners get to go. Nature as it had been for centuries, unspoiled by modern conveniences, so-called, untainted by graft and selfishness and exploitation. She relates how one evening she had been sitting in the forest with a group of children under an incredibly beautiful night sky, emblazoned with millions of brilliant stars. She says one of the children looked at her and innocently asked if they had a moon in America. She said this innocent question made her realize that in many respects America was an entirely separate world for that child. She acknowledged that there was a place somewhere called America. She had never been there, of course, and would likely never get there during her lifetime. But on faith, she believed that it existed from the testimony given her by someone she trusted. Interested, she wanted to find out more about this place and asked appropriate questions of someone who would know the answers. There must be a religious and spiritual analogy to all of this, don't you think? Well, there certainly is a spiritual analogy anyway. While we are earthbound saints, as we await our home called to glory, we all have a curiosity about heaven, don't we? Some more than others, I guess. Don't you sometimes feel a little homesick for heaven? 
Does your curiosity not sometimes respond to pictures and sermons and scriptural passages that speak to the topic of heaven? The Bible has a lot to say about heaven, but there are also a lot of questions that remain unanswered still. Like little Alio in Africa, we ask, is there a moon in America? By the questions we ask, the hymns we sing sometimes ask similar questions. What will it be like when we get over yonder? Beulah land, sweet Beulah land, and so on. Like Alio, we ask questions of those whom we believe should know the answers for us. Some questions, of course, do not yet have answers. We must wait for that day when we see face to face. In the meantime, we content ourselves with the knowledge that we do have and feast upon the nuggets of knowledge that God has given us in the Bible, knowing that one day it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Jesus 
Now with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Good morning. May God's richest blessings be yours as you celebrate the awesome, unbelievable, miraculous, loving event of the incarnation of the eternal, infinite God as the finite man, child, Jesus, the Savior of the world. In my previous two messages, which I have entitled The Christmas Story Sushi Style, I try to give you a perspective of Christmas that is not usually focused upon by most people, including believers in Christ. Another title for the series could well be The Cosmic Perspective of Christmas. We have become so brainwashed with the sanitized version of the Christmas story, which is seen from the commercialized religious perspective, that we have actually forgotten that God has also given us heaven's version of the Christmas story as well. Let me read for you once again the Christmas story as recorded in the book of Revelation chapter 12. A great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. Now most scholars, conservative scholars, would hold that this woman speaks of either or both Israel, who produced a Messiah, and or Mary, through whom he was born. We continue now at verse 2. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. That's the event we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. Verse 3. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon. Now isn't that ironic? He's dressed in red, with seven heads and ten horns. Notice, not one horn, but ten. And seven crowns on his head. Notice now, his tail, that's right, he has a tail as well, and a long one at that. In fact, it is so long that the text says, and I quote again, his tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. Notice, Heaven's version of the birth of Christ. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of 
for 1,260 days, end of quote. My friends, that's the Christmas story, the cosmic perspective. As I said before, this is one version of the Christmas story we do not read to our children, even though it was told by Jesus himself. This is heaven's cosmic version of the birth of Christ. Earth vision is the result of this battle between the forces of God and the forces of the red dragon. That battle, my friend, continues today. We must not forget that, especially during this time of the year. The incarnation of God, I say again, was and is the most strategic and ingenious military tactic any general ever used against his enemy. Jesus became a man in order to be God's champion to do battle with the host of hell headed up by the red dragon in order to crush him under his feet even though it would cause his heel to be bruised as predicted in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Friends, I say again, please listen carefully. Jesus Christ did not come to encourage parties and revelry in his honor. He came to destroy the works of the devil and to set us free from the fear of death and the power of sin that the red monster had over us. And he didn't do it in a manger, my friends. He did it on a cross. And just as the red devil waited for the birth of the cosmic Christ in Revelation 12 so he could destroy him, so he waited in Luke chapter 2 in the person of Herod to destroy the Christ child. He is still trying to do it in one form or another today. He is doing it, for instance, by causing us to lose the true significance of Christmas, the time when God's champion entered into the very stronghold of the red dragon, the devil, to take him on as God's specially designated champion. That's another reason he's called Emmanuel, God with us. This was a battle to the death for the life of sinful man. The battle was won by God's champion, Jesus Christ, not in the manger, but on the cross. There Jesus crushed the head of the red devil, I said, that old serpent. And although he bruised his own heels through death in doing so, he was the mighty victor nonetheless, because he arose from the dead three days later. I say again, my friends, that's the story of Christmas, sushi style, raw. It tells us that it was God himself who set this cosmic aspect of Christmas. He did so in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. Speaking to Satan in the form of a serpent, this is what God said, I quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's Genesis 3.15. That, my friends, is Christmas sushi style. It has to do with the birth of the seed through the Virgin Mary that would crush the Satan and his seed forever. I say again, it's in the context of a huge spiritual cosmic war. It's not a silent night, holy night sort of a situ situation in an unknown town called Bethlehem. My friends, this is a cosmic situation we are celebrating. 
But there's a final perspective on Christmas we need to consider as well. It is the fact that Christmas will occur again. But this time, Jesus will come not as a baby, but as a grown man. Not as a helpful, not as a helpless infant, but as a glorious victor. He will not come to earth at first, but in the air. And ironically, and sadly, just as many were not ready for his first coming, so will many not be ready for his coming in the air the second time. We call this event, of course, the rapture. Some call this the second coming of Christ, but actually it is not. The sequence of the comings have to do with his coming to Israel, not to or for the church or the world in general. His second coming then is, technically speaking, when he comes back to earth to set up his kingdom specifically in relation to Israel, although, of course, all will be involved and impacted. This will occur at least seven years after the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. However, although the rapture is a special coming of the Lord, Jesus for his saints, it is nonetheless a real, actual coming, and we could say a coming again. The point is, your view of his first coming will determine if you will be ready for his next coming in the rapture. Will you be rapture ready? At his first coming, he came to save sinners. At his next coming, the rapture, he will come to take those whom he has saved to be with him forever in glory. If you accept the fact that you are a sinner now, that he came to save you, and you rely upon him alone for your salvation right now, in other words, you place faith alone in Christ alone, if you do this, my friends, you will be ready for that second coming. You will be rapture ready. If you have not and will not trust him, you will be left behind to face the awful days of the tribulation without any real hope that you will have another opportunity to be saved. That's why, my friends, what you do and how you celebrate this Christmas this time will determine how you will face Jesus Christ when he comes again, as it were, for the second Christmas. There's a poem that was written some time ago by an unknown author, by an author whose name we do not know, that is. The poem is entitled, Twas the Night Before Jesus Came. This poem combines his first coming and his second coming in the rapture and it challenges us to be ready for what we might call the second Christmas. As I mentioned, the author is unknown. Listen as I read this poem. I hope it will not only bless your soul, but it will challenge you to receive Christ, the first Christmas gift, if you have not done so before, so that you will be ready when he comes again. Here is the poem. "'Twas the night before Jesus came, and all through the house, not a creature was praying, not one in the house. Their Bibles were laying on the shelf without care in hopes that Jesus would not come there. The children were dressing to crawl into bed, not once ever kneeling or bowing their head. And Mom, in a rocker with baby on her lap, was watching a late show while I took a nap. When out of the east there arose such a clatter, 
I sprang to my feet to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. Then what to my wondering eyes should appear but angels proclaiming that Jesus was here. With a light like the sun sending forth a bright ray, I knew in a moment that this must be the day. The light of his face made me cover my head. It was Jesus returning just like he said. And though I possessed worldly wisdom and wealth, I cried when I saw him in spite of myself. In the book of life which he held in his hand was written the name of every saved man. He spoke not a word as he searched for my name. When he said, It is not here, my head hung in shame. The people whose names have been written with love he gathered to take to his Father above. With those who were ready he rose without a sound, while all the rest were left standing around. I fell to my knees, but it was too late. I had waited too long, and thus sealed my fate. I stood, and I cried as they rose out of sight. Oh, if only I had been ready tonight. In the words of this poem, the meaning is clear. The coming of Jesus is drawing near. There's only one life, and when comes the last call, we'll find that the Bible was true after all. That, my friends, is the Christmas story sushi style. I encourage you, let the celebration of this first coming of Jesus Christ be your opportunity to prepare you for the next coming in the air for those for whom God is well pleased by receiving him as the first Christmas gift who came to save you from your sins. Have a blessed Christmas. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. They're forevermore to stay.
happen in a moment. Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every morning for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our tolling will be Christ could come again.